welcome, ladies and gentlemen, back for another episode of The Owl's Nest, bringing you your bird's eye view of the Overwatch League and all the action. We got a pretty good show here for you today, of course, taking a look at some of the takeaways from last week, as well as a quick look at what's been going down in the Lone Star Showdown. We're also going to talk about the new Vancouver Titans, and then, as always, give you a look ahead of what to expect going on this weekend. Of course, I have Jake here with me. Jake, how's your quarantine going? Ah, uh, good as always, taking it day by day. <laughs> That's right. So uh, the first thing I wanted to start with uh, is actually the Lone Star Showdown so far. We've gone through both of the challenge days. We've seen at least one part of the docu-series. And uh, it looks like so far, if we're going to judge at least by the challenges, uh, the Dallas Fuel seem to have a pretty big lead over the Houston Outlaws. I believe uh, Dallas won three of the four challenges, which means they're going to at least get to pick the, the, the first three matches. Based on what we've seen so far, Jake, who do you give the edge here to, and how much stock can we actually put into what the final outcome of the uh, 6v6 match is going to be just based on these individual challenges that we've seen so far? Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree. Dallas has a huge advantage in these uh, small team challenges, coming out pretty significantly ahead, and even in that um, third series, getting kind of styling on the Outlaws, getting a little crazy with their picks, their compositions. Um, but at least Houston pulls it back for the final one, able to get the win there, get some momentum going. Um, I think more so than the map picks going in Dallas's favor, I do think the fact that Dallas just won the last six-on-six six matchup in the Overwatch League, that really is the most significant piece of momentum in this series, that, you know, Houston, you know, still can taste that fresh sting of defeat, and Dallas know exactly what it's like to beat the Houston Outlaws. So I do think um, that's the biggest reason for Dallas to be confident going into this um going into the series, and on top of that, they've got the map pick. So Houston, they've certainly positioned themselves as the underdog thus far. Well, if you haven't already, make sure you head on over to either the Dallas Fuel or the Houston Outlaws YouTube channel and uh, catch up on the matches if you missed them and also catch up on the docu-series that have been airing on TV down in Texas. Gives you sort of an insider's behind-the-scenes look at uh, what these players are going through and what this means to all of them. Speaking of close games, though, last week we talked about what did the Seoul Dynasty need to do in order to get out of their slump. And uh, going back up against the Shanghai Dragons last weekend, they went 3-2. I, I woke up the morning after going to look at these scores and expect it, did not see at all what I expected hmm. to see. Uh, Jake, in your mind, what was it that the Dynasty fixed or, or what went in their way that allowed them to take this win over the Dragons? What I was most impressed by by the Dynasty in this match was the fact that they were able to beat the Dragons on what I would consider the Dragons' home team composition, which is that Arisa Sigma... Uh, heavy spam oriented composition the dragons have just decimated so many teams playing that strategy and dynasty took them to that mirror match no fear and actually won it so uh, i think that was for me the huge difference maker that soul dynasty is able to beat dragons on a composition that the dragons kind of innovated for themselves in the apac region uh, and soul kind of just took that in stride and ran with it soul also didn't elect to use echo i think at all in the series maybe a tiny bit but i don't remember them using it at all um, and I think that was also to their benefit. I don't think Soul got much value out of Echo. And especially now that McCree and Widow are back in the pool, I think Echo took a huge hit in terms of viability. Uh, those heroes just, just kind of destroy Echo. So um, Soul Dynasty, props to them, did a, did a really, really great job adapting throughout the series, um, using that Arisa comp to beat Dragons, and then also having a really effective Sombra Tracer, Winston Diva, Lucio Mora, like that all-in dive strat. They really played it well. 
uh, didn't work out for them on the first cough, but they stayed confident and it, they won them the, the final cough map. So do you think that this is a turning point for Seoul or was this just so, you know, the right maps, the right uh, hero pools for them to get this win on the Dragons? I think this definitely has to be huge for Seoul, both in terms of momentum and in terms of um, you know, their emotions, their feelings as a team. Like, to go down 3-0 three matches in a row, that's brutal. Like, that's like the worst feeling in the world for Seoul Dynasty, a team that kind of should be considering themselves as, as, as a team to beat, as a playoff team, a strong playoff team at that. Um, obviously, the Dragons are, like, the most dominant team in the APAC region, though, so this, this is, like, the biggest turnaround you could possibly get, especially because the loss streak for Seoul, it all started with Shanghai beating them 3-0. Um, so, if anything, I think they've got back on their feet. I don't think you, there's any map pool, any hero pool that is going to make the Dragons an easy opponent. So, so <laughs> they earn this win. All right. Well, we'll see how they do as they go up against some of the other uh, teams over there in the Asian region. Moving on here, too, we also saw uh, Guangzhou. This is the other one that surprised me. Waking up to see that the Guangzhou Charge took a win over the New York Excelsior 3-1. to one. What happened here that allowed the Charge to take a win over someone like the Excelsior? Uh, for me, in this match, uh, the charge just had really insane coordination, playing a lot of heavy dive compositions. Um, you know, and against a team like New York that is should be really, really effective on those compositions. You know, Sabiel on the tracer, one of the best tracers in the league, still looked really sharp. You know, it didn't seem like to me that New York was playing poorly, but the Chargers had really, really great team coordination, uh, and they just had really decisive movements as a unit. Like it felt like they had their confidence back. Uh, maybe from you know stomping Dynasty 3-0 the last week, they were just feeling hot. <laughs> but they for sure carried that momentum forward. And New York, I think, tried to play a little slower, played the value game, which I think is their style. Uh, it just didn't work out. I think GZ, they played so fast, they forced their execution, forced their will on the game. And that just ended up working out for them. I think New York's strategy can work, but it could have been just a tough week for that strategy with, with a lot of dive being played. Uh, it is a little bit harder to play that slow value game that I think makes New York such a such a difficult opponent. Um, I would compare them to like a boa constrictor or something, just just you know working their opponents, grinding them down, uh, and just winning because they have better players and, and better value game and mono lives forever somehow. Um, but yeah, it didn't work at all against GZ this match. GZ was just too fast, too aggressive, and. Eileen as well in the Sombra was just dominant. So, so sick on the Sombra. So now that we've seen a lot of the teams over in the Asian region uh, get to play and, you know, uh, the New York Excelsior, London Spitfire, we start to see a bunch of their matches now as well. What do you think the overall ecosystem over there is starting to look at? Obviously with the Shanghai Dragons probably sitting at the top and we've talked before how the Charge and the Spark, you know, are both pretty close. Do you think that these teams are all still, you know, sort of uh, uh, biting at each other's uh, heels or has the gap started to widen? For you. No, I still think this is the closest region by far um, compared to like, you know, like the NA region where I do think there's some teams that are significantly below the pack. I think at the top of, of NA, there's also, you know, some teams that have pushed ahead pretty far, like, you know, your Phillies and, and even... Actually, I think it really would only be Philly that's kind of has that significant edge. I think everyone else is a little bit closer at the upper level. But yeah, APAC is really tight. I feel like anybody can beat anybody. Um, you know, Shanghai's only losses are to Seoul and Chengdu, who are two of the teams that, you know, if you look at their overall record, their results, you might think of them as, you know, maybe below the median um, in that region. So I think that just shows how closely matched the region is. Um, but what I also think is that there's going to be a lot of really strong playoff contenders from this region. I think, um, 
as far as NA goes, like the weakest NA teams, or let's say this, the weakest APAC teams, I think are a lot better than the weakest NA teams. So the weaker teams in in NA, they need to step their game up or they're just going to get dunked in playoffs. So the uh, last one that I want to take a look at here is one of the matches of the week that we called uh, last episode, and that was Dallas versus the Philadelphia Fusion. Uh, you know, we did say that the Fusion had a little bit more of an edge, and they didn't end up taking the win. But I was curious what you saw here, and if the Dallas Fuel lived up to what you were at least expecting of them. Well, they took a map off Philly, um, and that's more than a lot of teams have been able to do. Um, obviously, Dallas—they're looking for more than that. They—they, you know, they're a team with a strong overall roster. They—they they should be able to get more than that done. Um, but against Philly, I cut them some slack just because, you know, Philly the best team in NA right now. So like, I don't, I'm not surprised when they beat anybody. Um, I did think Philly had the edge here, but Dallas, they did take a map. They did play Philly close in a lot of circumstances. Um, I do think this, the, the meta this week being Sombra Tracer, Winston Diva, Lucio Mora, that like all in dive strat. Um, I think that just was like such a wheelhouse strat for Philly. Like they were so, so strong on it. They played it really well. Everyone being really aggressive. Uh, and playing as a unit whereas i also think of dallas kind of like the dragons i think of them as a team and or maybe kind of like new york excelsior as well kind of a team that wants to play that value game um and i just don't think they're able to really do that against um or in this meta like they, they did a good job i think going out of their comfort zone to play this meta the way it's supposed to be played like it's not like they were playing super passively or anything like that but i just would call this like a stylistic advantage for philly uh in the meta of the week like this isn't dallas's best meta i mean yes Doha's a great Sombra, and Decay is great on Tracer, um, but I just think overall as a team, they do better with a slower strat that just lets Decay and Doha have like more time to work with, make solo plays, less like, you know, team unit coordination. Um, not that Dallas is bad, but more that just Philly is insanely good at that. <laughs> All right, well, hopefully Dallas, who had a bit of a m- momentum built up there, doesn't let this slow them down going forward, guys, you know. As always, we'd love to know what you think, what were your takeaways from last week, and what are you looking forward to these teams coming up here in the weeks to come. Let us know on social media. Connect with us at Checkpoint XP on Facebook and Twitter. You can also find us individually at Robbie underscore Landis CP and Jake OW. Coming up next, we're going to talk about what we saw out of the new Vancouver Titans and what this could mean for the franchise going forward. Hey, it's Weird Beard from Checkpoint XP reminding you to make it blue. Help say thank you to our heroes on the front lines of the COVID-19 pandemic. Whether you're streaming, drawing, singing, cooking, or anything else, showcase your talents and hashtag light it blue. You can find more information at our website, CheckpointXP.com.
Welcome back to the Owl's Nest, guys. Thanks for watching, and if you're looking for something on the go, if you want to just take a listen to us, you can download the Owl's Nest in podcast form. You can find that at Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever it is that you find your podcasts. You can also find it all over at CheckpointXP.com. And make sure that if you haven't already, you head over to Twitch and uh, give Jake a follow at Jake underscore OW. Turn those notifications on and join him whenever he's live. All right, so the next thing that I want to talk about here is, uh, you know, something that kind of hit everyone, uh, you know, by storm. That was, of course, the uh, Vancouver Titans releasing their previous roster and then having uh, second wind, or at least uh, three of second wind, uh, waiting in the wings there, bringing them in along with uh, three other uh, contenders, uh, rookies out of the contender scene. Uh, Jake, there's been a big shift here now, obviously, from a completely Korean roster over to mostly Western talent here with the new Vancouver Titans. So... Give me your opinions on who it is that we're seeing as the new Titans here now. Well, I mean, as you said, it's a bunch of contenders players, and I think there's been a lot of rumblings in, like, the Tier 2 community um, and, and the Overwatch community at large about, like, these contenders teams being really strong, being able to compete at the Overwatch League level. But I think what we saw in their first week out is, is you know, it's still early days, you know, that you still have to keep your options open, keep your, your mind open. But... You know, going down 3-1 to a Washington squad that just lost Corey, you know, their superstar player, and just getting decimated by Florida. Vancouver, they're just not on the same level quite yet. Like, they're looking like um, one of the bottom-level teams in the North American region with this new roster. Um, that being said, like, you know, I do want to have that strong disclaimer that they're a new team, uh, still new roster coming together, new to playing at the Overwatch League level. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't give up my hope just yet for the Titans to be a successful squad. Um, I do think it's very possible for them to continue to improve and rise through the ranks quickly because, you know, a new team, you can improve very quickly. Like, you can just, you know, patch up those mistakes, those miscommunications, where an established team, if they're losing, like, it's usually not something that you can fix in a moment. But a new team, like, you can't you can't put too much emphasis on these early results. Um, that being said, the results were abysmal. So, uh, <laughs> like, it's not... You know, like the people saying that, oh, these contenders teams could dominate the weaker teams in Overwatch League. Well, the weaker teams in the Overwatch League just dominated them. So I don't know uh, if that argument really holds uh, any validity anymore. Well, what's interesting about this season, too, is, you know, obviously with this being an entirely rookie squad now, it's not the first that we've seen of this, you know. Uh, the Valiant are mostly contenders players. Uh, the London Spitfire, mostly uh, contenders players as well. And they've been doing, you know, pretty good this season, despite some of what their records may show. Their performances have still been pretty good considering. So do you expect to see the Titans, you know, was this maybe just uh, uh, sort of like a first-week jitters? Do you expect that if they're going to grow and get better, that we'll see some of those effects happen pretty quickly? Um, I mean, I would say give them, give them like a month, give them a few weeks of matches, um, a few weeks of practice as a team. The first week, I don't count too highly, but um, I am going to be keeping my eyes close on them, watching these matches, seeing how they perform, seeing where the bright spots are for this team in terms of like who's a superstar, and if there's any players like not really pulling their weight or, or making some big errors that are getting the team punished and caught out. Um, so I still think there needs to be like a nuanced take as far as the success of Vancouver. Like they could easily continue to innovate on or, or to adjust this roster, continue to add new players. Um, you know, you know, change the strategy around. I don't know what the what the coaching staff looks like now as well. So there's still a lot of like low hanging fruit, let's say, to make this team better. Um, but I would agree, I would say that like you know you don't give them infinite time. It's not like oh we can mm. be saying the same thing a month down the road. Like you know yes this week struggle next week you know we'll see how they do. 
uh, they're playing Houston as well. So, you know, a team in like yep. the middle of the table, another like good bellwether of like, can this team start to improve? Can they have a better performance, um, you know, against one of those mid-table teams? Um, but getting bodied by Washington, a team that is pretty close to the bottom of North America right now, um, who have just lost a star player. Uh, you know, yeah, they took a map. That's good, though. They, they got something. It's not like they got blasted out of the water 3-0 by both teams. But, but Florida pretty much worked them. So, um, yeah, Vancouver, I'd give them, I'd, give them, I'd give them two, three weeks. If two, three weeks they're still getting stomped, then I'd say they need to continue making some significant roster adjustments. Um, you know, I don't think it takes that long to adjust, especially with the hero pools putting things in flux for the Overwatch League teams that that actually should be a bit of an equalizer for these newer players. Like, they should uh, be in that same boat as far as, like, new new, new meta, new strats. Um, so, yeah, let's let's see the next couple weeks, and, and we'll keep keep looking at this, this team, keep giving them a shot. I, I wouldn't count my hopes out just yet. So out of the six players that we have here, uh, was, was there any of them that sort of stood out to you or that we should particularly be keeping an eye on to hopefully help, uh, you know, move Vancouver towards some wins? Um... To be honest, I think it's just too early to tell. Um, I just don't think you can judge players by these like really hard defeats. Um, I think if they can get some closer matches going, then you know we might start to see some some stars arise. But a player having success in a game where their team's losing, sometimes it's hard to know whether like are they just playing a style that enables them to get value, but their team's consistently losing fights. Like that's still not correct. It's still not a good play, even if you're starting to look good. So the team, I think, instead of focusing on like those individual players, like who's going to carry the team, I think they're still at a level where they just need to focus on on their team coordination and their teamwork. Like I saw a lot of players, you know, on on a mechanical level performing just fine. Um, I just think they're pretty far behind as far as like ultimate management and and the strategy in approaching each fight. Um, it is a very chaotic week though for the meta, like with like this like heavy dive strategy dominating. Um, this Tracer Sombra stuff, like dominating a, a lot of maps at least. Um, so I, and, and I think that's not something we've seen very much of at all in the Overwatch League this season. So um, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't worry too much about individual players this week. But I think next week actually should be really, really good for individual players. You've got Arissa, Moira, and May all out of the pool at the same time, which those are three of the most like um, team play oriented heroes in the game that are all about team play. And that's pretty much all they do is team play. But which, which means next week, I think will actually be a position for individual players to start to shine. We're probably going to see some more Reinhardt, um, some more on a gameplay, things like that. That I think will will put the individual players back in the spotlight. All right. Well, hopefully the uh, new Vancouver Titans get their act together. I know a lot of fans who were disappointed with the results that we saw, but as Jake said, give them a little bit of time to try and adjust. And uh, maybe they, uh, they won't be quite as bad as what they looked this last weekend here. But up next, we're going to discuss how those recent hero bans that Jake, Jake just mentioned might affect the meta, as well as what our matches of the week will be. Stay tuned. The latest in college esports from the students that play. 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 Go behind the scenes at the schools that game. The only place where esports are on, on, on campus. Hello, everyone. I'm Diane from Checkpoint XP on campus, and it's Asian Pacific American Heritage Month. 
Today, we are shining a spotlight on Japanese game designer Katsuya Iguchi. He is a senior producer and deputy general manager at Nintendo and has worked on popular games like Super Mario Bros., Super Smash Bros., Animal Crossing, and many others. In 1986, when he was 21 years old, he moved to Kyoto to work for Nintendo. Feeling lonely and isolated, something we can all relate to right now, he was inspired to create the game Animal Crossing. We thank Katsuya for having such an impact on the gaming industry. Welcome back, everyone, to the Owl's Nest.、Uh, if you haven't already, we encourage you to make sure you're going and following us on social media. That's Checkpoint XP on Facebook and Twitter, Jake OW on Twitter, and Jake underscore OW on Twitch. We love to hear what you guys are saying out there, what you're thinking of what's going on in the Overwatch scene.、Uh, you know, connect with us as much as you can, and if we see some stuff that we'd like, you might actually help to influence the discussions. That we have here on the show. So,、uh, looking ahead to、uh, week 15, I believe it is, that we're coming up on, we're going to start off with some of our matches of the week. So, before we go ahead and get to our matches of the week, I actually want to take a look at what the hero bands are here.、Uh, of course, off of the tank, Orisa is out. May, thank God, again, is out. And unfortunately, my favorite, Tracer, goes along with her. And then the support side, Moira, as well. So,、uh, Jake, taking a look at、uh, the heroes that we have out of the pool today, what are you looking or expecting to see coming out of some of these teams as far as compositions go? I mean, first reaction is like, yeah, it sucks to have no Tracer, but the other three bands, muah. <laughs> Beautiful. You can't see me right now, Robbie, but Chef's Kiss, you know, yes, yes, give me more AI that picks these bands, please. Because, yeah, Arisa, May, and Moira are like three of the most annoying meta defining heroes in the game that really shut down plays more than they make them themselves.、Um, that really slow the game down, I think, all three of these heroes、uh, and, and make it a little bit more simplistic, I would say. So, to get these heroes out of the pool, I think, as I was saying about Vancouver, we're going to see a bigger highlight on individual playmaking this week, a bigger return.、Uh, I think heroes like Reinhardt、um, are going to dominate. Heroes like Ana will replace what you know, normally is dominated by Amoira. So, we get to see those playmaking effects, those huge bio nades.、Um, for me, that's just so much more exciting than farming a coalescence and pressing Q.、Um, <laughs> so, I'm really excited for this week. Obviously, yeah, no tracer kind of hurts, but. Honestly, I'm not worried about it because I think we're going to see some very exciting Reinhardt gameplay this week.、Um, probably some Reaper as well,、uh, which isn't the most exciting character in the world, but those huge Death Blossoms are always pretty epic to watch, especially with an Ana around to potentially hit the Sleep Dart or drop a Nano from you know, one side or the other, respectively.、Uh, I think this is going to be a week of a lot of rush comps、um, because no Orisa, no Mei, 
no uh, no Moira. It's going to be very hard to stop a team that just runs straight at you. So both teams are going to be bashing heads, I think, pretty explosively this week with a lot of Ryan, Reaper, and Lucio. All right, well, with some of that in mind, let's go ahead and take a look at our matches of the week and see if we can figure out exactly how these compositions may affect the teams going into them. And we're going to actually start with the Dallas Fuel versus the Paris Eternal. It seems like these are two teams that are constantly on the cusp of really entering into the conversation of which teams exist at the top. You know, both of them get plenty of momentum behind them, then usually going up against, in the past few weeks, it's been Philly before getting their hopes crushed. Uh, when we look at currently how they're doing so far in the May tournament, both of them are sitting at 1-1 one one for determining the seeding going into the tournament. So uh, Dallas Fuel, Paris Eternal, with the hero bands in mind, what should we be expecting from both of these teams, Jake? I actually think this is going to be a good week for both teams. That's why I thought of this as a match of the week. Is I, I just think Gamsu on the Rhine uh, is a really strong player. I think that's a great hero for him. And I think both teams are actually pretty great at around playing around a Rhine composition. Uh, LH Cloudy as well for the Paris Eternal, one of the best Rhines in the league. So I actually think Paris might have a bit of an edge in the the main tank matchup, which I think will be really important. Um, but as well, I think um, just this is great because I like I like to see two teams both in their comfort zone. I think that is an exciting matchup to me, just because um, you get to see high level gameplay from both sides. And I think they're both going to like the meta. They're both going to be confident in it. So uh, to see them clash, I don't really know who's going to come out on top. I would say, I would imagine Paris has a bit of an edge because I do think LH Cloudy is is really, really sick on the Reinhardt. Um, And I think that is where the edge will lie. But I think in the rest of the roster, it's going to be extremely tight. Um, uh, I'm curious to see what the Paris Eternal does uh, as far as their support line, like what they choose to play, who they choose to have play it. Um, with, of course, some players like leaving the, the Eternal roster recently uh, in that flex support position. Uh, but f- for Fuel, you know, Crimzo has been really, really strong. Despite being a bit newer to the Overwatch League, he's been a great performer and, and really put out for the team. So um, this is going to be a great match. So the other match that you have here for us to take a look at and keep an eye out on is actually the Toronto Defiant versus the Los Angeles Valiant. Two teams that tend to be lower on the ladder. However, in regards to determining the seeding for the May tournament, the Valiant are 2-0, and so another win would put them in a very good position. So what are you expecting from this Defiant and Valiant matchup that makes it a must-watch this uh, week? Uh, to me, I mean, yes, Valiant is 2-0 and and Toronto is 0-2, but I don't think that tells the full story. I think Toronto has had some tough... Uh, opponents in in those O2 defeats, and I think the Valiant have had some relatively easier opponents. Uh, I actually think I think the Valiant does have an edge here. I would say uh, because I just think they're the stronger team overall. But the Defiant are a team that I do think has a ton of potential, and it's just a matter of realizing that potential. And I think where I've seen them have their best success is those brawl compositions. You know, everyone stacking as a unit, working together. Uh, you know, playing the brawl. I think that is their their edge. Um, I do think the main tank position is where Valiant gets their real advantage this week. Um, Beast has looked good, but I think he's looked better on other main tanks than, than Reinhardt. Um, but at the same time, like I just think stylistically, this is a good week for Toronto. Um, Valiant, like also a good week for them. So that, that's why I picked it as a match of the week, because I just think both teams are going to like the hero pools. Both teams are going to feel confident in it. Um, I would say Valiant's got the edge for sure. But Toronto, it's like, I don't I don't want to count them out as a team. I still think this roster has a ton of potential, despite their early struggles in the season. Yeah, I know. Toronto is definitely, especially earlier on when you saw some of the names and some of the talent that, that they signed, has always been one of the teams that, uh, that I've followed. And yes, I've also been a little disappointed in 
uh, as well. Taking a look at, at the rest of the schedule here, uh, you know, we haven't talked a whole lot about the London Spitfire since uh, they relocated back over in the Asian region and uh, seem to have pretty mixed success here so far. Uh, but coming up this weekend, they'll actually be going up against Shanghai Dragons. And uh, I'm just wondering, what is your read on that? Do you think that the Dragons going to continue to dominate over the Spitfire the same way that they've been able to roll just about every other match they've uh, taken? I do think the Dragons are, are going to be pretty dominant in that match. Uh, London Spitfire, I agree, though. They, they have had some good series. They've had put up some good performances, especially coming back after that long break. They looked really strong. Um, but, of course, it's the Dragons, so I'm definitely going to give the Dragons the edge, <laughs> and I'll probably continue to do so unless they start really beefing because uh, this team just looks so, so sick on anything they play. Yes, they did drop to the Soul Dynasty, but I think that was more Soul stepping a, up in a huge way. It was a way. close one. Yeah, yeah exactly. Mm-hmm. It was close, and I think Soul stepped up in a huge way. Um, more so than than I think the Dragons really messed up. And I think Dragons playing fast rush comps is extremely scary. They're, this team is really good when they play fast. Somehow when they play fast, they, they manage to not look... They, they feel like they're playing in slow motion, that they're like everything is easy for them. They're not splitting up. They're keeping their focus really, really clean, really precise. Their executions are, are fast and coordinated. So I think that'll be a fun match to watch. But I do expect London Spitfire are going to have a lot of trouble there. All right. Well, we can't wait to see how it ends up going down, guys. Remember to make sure to let us know in the comments, uh, whether that's on YouTube or over on Twitter and Facebook, what matches you're looking forward to seeing, what you think the outcomes are going to be as well. We love hearing from you guys. That's going to be all that we have for today on the Owl's Nest. So until next time, make sure you stay on that payload.